then come before the Lord and pray for illumination. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, all men are like grass. We are like, Lord, those upon whom the sun comes and we wither and we die. Our place forgets us. But Your Word, O Heavenly God and Father, is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Your Word is powerful unto salvation. We pray, Heavenly God and Father, that You would now speak to us in that Word so that we may see the glory of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, be encouraged and challenged, comforted by Your promises and challenged to live more fully for You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to page 547 in your pew Bibles, 547, where you find Psalm 34. Again, this is our church visiting or family visiting theme as the elders come and as they gather in your homes to speak of matters of the faith. This is, that you might say, the word, the seed that they are planting in our hearts this year, that word of grace from Psalm 34. We have already seen uh, the first two stanzas, one, verses 1, 2, and 3, and then verses 4, 5, and, four, five 6, and 7. Now we're going to uh, consider the third stanza, the verses 8 through 14. But we'll read it together in its entirety, the Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Hear the word of God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Hear the words of our text. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it the end of our text, but we'll keep reading. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Again, the verses 8 through 14 serve as our text this morning. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, we now come to that portion of Psalm 34 that most obviously or most 
easily relates to our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That is exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're going to see the bread lifted and broken. We're going to see the cup offered. And we're going to be called to taste the goodness of God. As surely we will hear, as surely as you eat the bread, as surely as you drink the wine, so certain can you be that God has given to you forgiveness who believe in Jesus Christ. We will taste, we will see the goodness of God today. But the Lord's Supper, of course, is not the primary or even the very first application of this passage, though it very obviously connects with it. I mean, after all, David wrote these words long before there was any Lord's Supper, and the Passover, which may have been in his mind, but certainly was something that was celebrated only once a year, and even then wasn't often celebrated in the history of Israel. Israel was not as faithful in their celebrations of the Passover as they should have been. Yet David, it is unlikely, had the Passover in mind when he wrote these words. He who had just come out of Abimelech's court, you remember the story, he had feigned madness in order to escape from Abimelech, whom he had rushed to to escape from Saul. Danger behind him, danger in front of him. The Lord had delivered him out of, his, uh, out of this trouble, out of this grief. The Lord had answered his prayer. And now David wants for us to know and to experience this same sort of grace, this same sort of blessedness, this same sort of joy. And, and that's why he calls us in our text this morning to taste and see. And what he's saying to us in those words is, don't just, don't just stand by. Don't just, don't just observe. Don't just hear about the goodness of God towards you. But now, personally experience it. Don't, don't come to church, he's saying, because dad and mom have taken you to church. Come to church and drink deeply in your own soul of the life-giving water of God in Jesus Christ. Don't, 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 don't participate in the Lord's Supper because it's Lord's Supper Sunday and that's what we do. Participate in the Lord's Supper because you want to experience in the deepest part of who you are the wonder of God's grace because you want to feel God's goodness. Experience it for yourself. Taste it. See it, says David. He wants us to be engaged in, in the goodness of God. He, he wants us to more, do more than just look at it, to see, more than just see it at the table up here, but to rush and drink of it, to eat of it, to experience it. Taste and see, says David, that the Lord is good. And then he gives to us, in the words that follow, in the remainder of our text, the way in which we can do that. He shows us how we can taste and see. He starts by saying, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. To take refuge in the Lord, you know, is to rest, is to trust, is really to depend upon not just the work of the Lord, but the work of the Lord in salvation. We might say, even though David would not yet be able to say that, that to take refuge in the Lord is to trust in Jesus. Just think of what he's saying. Consider that no sinner, even if they wanted to, 
And they certainly don't want to, but no sinner, even if they wanted to, could take refuge in the Lord. They couldn't run into the cover of the Lord's tent. They couldn't come under His sovereign wings. They couldn't find security in His loving arms because the Lord would never receive them. The Lord will never receive, even today at His table, anyone who is a sinner, that is, who is persistently living in sin. Not someone who commits sin, we all commit sin, but someone who is living their life not by the power of grace, but by the power of sin. If we are such a person, we are warned, as the form tells us, not to participate because our judgment will be made all the heavier. Oh no, the Lord says, I will not allow darkness to dwell in the light. I will not let sin in my presence. I will destroy and consume in eternal damnation all those who live by sin. It's a frightening word. A word that ought to to move our hearts to either flee to Jesus Christ or to rejoice in our being able to take refuge in the Lord. You see, because if we are taking refuge in the Lord, if we are in the safe cover of our God, it's because we have been purchased in Jesus Christ. It's because we have been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. It's because He died for us and the Spirit has given us utterance and faith to rest in Jesus Christ. Indeed, that's why Peter quotes this very psalm and this portion of the psalm in his letter in chapter 2 at verse 3. Precisely because he sees this word in verse 8, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, to be a way into which we can describe trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. So when David says, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, he's saying, blessed are everyone who acknowledges their sin, knows their desperate need of salvation, and rests in the blood of Christ for that grace. But then taking refuge in the Lord means also trusting that His favor rests upon us. This is where things can get difficult. You might say that to rest in the Lord here is more than we can do. Consider that when we rest in the Lord, we are called by David, by the Spirit who speaks through David, to trust To trust that our Heavenly Father will care for us, will guide us, will provide us and bring us to the place of blessing without doubt or fail. Do you trust that? Do you trust that your Heavenly Father is leading your life perfectly? In the times of great blessing, easy. In the times of turmoil, Do we know that we are in the safe care of a God who loves us more perfectly than we'll ever know? David wants us to be impressed by that, so he gives to us an analogy. He says, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. And then he says, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Young lions, he says, He says, may suffer want. Young lions are not usually known for having to suffer want. Young lions out on the Serengeti or in those places where they roam, they, when they become hungry, find the weakest animal and gorge themselves. 
They simply take and eat. Well, says David, you know how young lions never want? There are people who want even less than that, and that is the saints of the Lord, that is the church of God, those who take refuge in Him, who trust in His saving work in Jesus Christ. And those who so find their refuge in the Lord are so cared for perfectly that they never want, they never suffer want, they never lack. Indeed, David's own experience confirms this. His own experience in the court of Abimelech affirms this. Though his experience is the expression or the result of a deeper reality. David, you understand, is extracting from his own personal experience in the court of Abimelech a truth about how the Lord deals with us who find our refuge in Him. David was delivered from a trying situation by the providence of God and was delivered not because of his own worth, but for the sake of Jesus Christ. Remember, David is both a representative of the coming Messiah, but also a believer who rests in that Messiah, a sinner who trusts in Christ for his salvation. For these reasons, because David trusts in the Lord, the Lord showed him compassion Now, knowing that this is how the Lord dealt with him, David is able to translate his own personal experience into a wisdom confession, into a principle of truth that governs all of life. That's what wisdom says. Wisdom in the Bible is how we can expect life to be experienced. Don't misunderstand that. It doesn't mean that it's a mechanical truth. A 2 plus 2 equals 4. Do this and that will happen. Input this data. Out will come this result. It's not nearly that mechanical. And it's not that mechanical because we live in a broken world. We live in a world where sinfulness has brought a curse upon the ground and upon the lives. The good creation that God has made. And the truth is that even... In this life, we are not masters. We are not rulers. We are not the governors of life. We don't get to say how it will go. That's even demonstrated in David's own life. David, who was anointed king and finds himself very quickly having to flee from Saul, having to narrowly escape the hand of Abimelech, David might say to God, why have you done this to me? You seemingly blessed my life and then you made it miserable. What's going on? Yet David sees more than just a personal experience in his own blessedness at the hands of God. He sees in his personal experience a part of the way that the Lord deals with his beloved children who take refuge in him. And that being the case, there is a life principle here for all who would be blessed. It is also worth remembering that the terms of this declaration of wisdom are not defined by us. When David says, O fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. When he says that the lions may uh, suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David doesn't say, so tell me, what do you think no lack is? Define for me what a good thing is. David doesn't say, you get to decide how God's going to bless you. We want to by nature. We want to by our sinful nature because we don't trust God. 
We want to define these terms in ways that are self-centered and selfish and are far more expansive than the Lord defines them. No lack for us may mean never having to pinch pennies, never having to worry about the budget, never having to worry about tough choices. Lacking no good thing may mean for us never having to be seriously ill, never having to experience any meaningful struggle in this life. And there was a time when that was true, you understand. There was a time when we experienced exactly that. We decided to eat a fruit, you understand. And we brought judgment and curse into this life. And we we surrendered our lives into sin before a God who is righteous and sovereign over all things. Indeed, that is something we also want to forget, that God rules all things. All men by nature do not want to admit that. That God is ruling all heaven and earth, that He is counting the very hairs of our heads, that He is numbering our footsteps, that He is guiding our paths. All men are under and subject to His plan and purpose, whether for eternal blessedness or eternal damnation. And we may not like the fact that God is sovereign, but He remains God. Yet for the believer, for the one who takes refuge in Christ, we are taught, we are told about the love of our Father rooted in Jesus Christ, about His redeeming work on our behalf. Indeed, we daily in our study of God's Word get to read and hear about the deep, deep love of the Father. When we do our devotions around the table, we read in Scripture of God's glorious commitment to us and our blessing and of our need never to be anxious or to worry of His perfect care over over us and how He answers us speedily and and perfectly. And and we read these things and and we are shown these things and the saints of, of old like David recount for us exactly how these things happen. And we are brought to say and to again acknowledge that those who trust in the Lord suffer no want. But while knowing it and reading it and hearing about it on the pages of Scripture are good and important, David now says to you and me, don't just, don't just do that. Don't just hear about it. Don't just read about it. Don't just know it. Taste it. See it. Taste and see. Look around in your life, he says. Take a moment to to count the ways in which the Lord is blessing you in Jesus Christ. Indeed, how often do we take time to reflect on how good the Lord is to us? How many times do we take a morning or a moment to count and to begin to count the ways in which God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ has been experienced even in those few moments that we've been awake or that we've been on our way to work or that we've been in our office or on the job site or in the classroom? As we're traveling to our job, we can just for a moment think about the food we've eaten, the clothes we've worn, the health that we enjoy, the safety we experience, the wealth that we have been given. We can begin to think about spiritual blessings and the peace that passes understanding, the forgiveness of sins, the strength and courage. On and on it can go so that our list of blessings will not end before we arrive at our destination. And then we will be speaking to our hearts an encouraging word of gratitude and we will experience again that wonder of God's love. We will know, we will taste and see that the Lord is good. 
And that's especially and profoundly true, people of God, in those moments of struggle. We can, as God's people, be secure when the storm rages around us. Precisely because our refuge is in the Lord our God. In Jesus Christ who loves us. We can trust His plan and providence. We can look forward to how all our struggles will in the end be by His power blessed. For we know that our Heavenly Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ, most certainly and surely loves us more deeply than we even ever know. And it is precisely because of this comfort that we ought to dedicate our lives to living for the Lord. That's how David then goes on in the second half of this stanza when he has called us to find our rest in the Lord, to taste and see that the Lord is good. He then calls us to give concrete expression to that confidence in the way that we live. He says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Fear here not as in be afraid of God, but rather fear as in respect, as in acknowledge the importance of, as, as recognizing the, the vitality of God's relationship with us, that there is no one more important in our lives than God. He says, let me teach you the fear of the Lord. Those words ought to be familiar to us. They are words of wisdom. They are words that begin the book of Proverbs. You remember in verse 7 of chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And those who live in wisdom live well. Indeed, this is the language of living well. What man is there, he says, who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Surely that's every one of us here today. Is there anyone here today who does not want to see life? Who doesn't want to, who doesn't love many days? Of course not. Oh, maybe, maybe when we come to the end, when our lives are coming to their natural conclusion, then we say, hasten the end, Lord, bring me into glory. Maybe when we are discouraged and down, when the darkness of depression weighs upon us, maybe then we say, Lord, deliver me from this. But surely even in those moments, given the choice of a blessed life, of a long and blessed life, we would say, yes, give me that. Indeed, isn't there in this even a hint of eternity, a sense of God's promise that we will live for all eternity in the flesh upon this earth? As Job himself said, my eyes shall see the Savior shall see my Redeemer, mine and not another's, how my heart yearns within me. Don't our hearts yearn for the day when all of the brokenness of sin will be left, when all of the impurity and imperfectness of this life will be forgotten, when we will live in unbroken fellowship for all eternity with God and His people. Who desires to see long life? Who desires to see many days? Surely all of us do. Well, says David, that being the case, then take this to heart. He says, keep your tongues from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He says, speak with honesty and integrity. Let your words, the things that come out of your mouth, testify. And turn away from evil and pursue shalom. Which is more than just the absence of conflict. It is the wholeness of blessedness in Christ. One of these admonitions addresses what lives within us. After all, as Jesus Christ Himself reminds us, from the overflow of the mouth, the, or rather from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart comes out in your mouth. 
the words you speak, the topics you discuss, the ways in which you view the world, give an expression in your words, are all in a, a testimony of what dwells within your heart. You can tell a lot about a person by the words they use or don't use, by the things they talk about or don't talk about. The other admonition addresses our priorities, asking us what's most important in your life. What is at the top of your list on every morning that you awaken, every day that you serve? In your business, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your studies, in your everything, what is your greatest good? And both of these admonitions call us to express to the world, to witness and testify to a darkening age that we are redeemed in Jesus Christ. Indeed, that only by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, given a new heart, can we speak new truths, glorious truths, new words that flow from a tongue that has been freed from sin, and that we've been given by virtue of Christ's redeeming work a new set of priorities that see beyond the emptiness of this fallen world, that look beyond the mere materialism of this life and set their hope in eternity and in the glories to come. Such that practically here we find the distinguishing marks of the believer that expresses our identity, announcing to the world that we are Christians with our language. Let's be honest, too much of our language is like the world on the job site, on the campus, with our friends. We don't mind swearing. We don't mind using foul language. We ought to see in those moments that we are dimming, we are covering over the light of our testimony to Christ. Conscious decisions to turn away from evil instead of pursuing it with the false notion that I'm forgiven anyway, testify that we're alive. When we allow ourselves sin, when we commit grief and evil and say, but wait, I'm forgiven anyway. Why are you angry? Jesus forgave me. Why won't you? When we callously and cruelly commit what is rebellion against God and think that we can get away with it, we cover, we diminish, we deny the truth of our being alive in Jesus Christ. We ought to ask ourselves every day and indeed throughout this coming week, what can people determine just from my word choice just from my priorities? Do they see in me, even if they don't know about regeneration and the work of the Spirit, even if they've never heard of the gospel message in Jesus Christ's death on the cross, even if they've never understood what the Lord's Supper is all about, can they see that there is in me a distinctiveness, that I am alive in Jesus Christ? Not perfect, none of us is perfect. Alive in Jesus Christ. And that there is in me a uniqueness. For I know my God who loves me profoundly and I love Him who has blessed me beyond measure so I seek to give all back to Him. This is a directive given in the context of many days and seeing good. If you want to enjoy blessedness, says David, then you need to live out your Christian life. Now understand, not in a works righteous way, but in a renewed life sort of way. This is not a matter of doing the right thing and therefore gaining reward from God. We can't do these things on our own. 
It is the power of sin in us that will always win and is always greater than we'll ever be able to overcome. Indeed, this is the misery of our lives, isn't it? That the dominion of sin is so great. It shortens our days. It keeps us from seeing good. I mean, look around at the world around us. Interact with the unbelieving neighbors and friends and families and see how they make poor choices that result in hardships. It's like they can't see the cliff's edge until they've walked over it. Or even if they know that something's bad for them, they can't seem to stop it. Some of us might be like that too. And we may need to reflect long and hard on why that is. If we're still under the dominion of sin, if we say, oh, I can quit any time, but never really do, and if life is hard for us, if we can't keep our language clean, if we can't pursue peace, what does that say about us? But then think about what it means when, when our language is good. That we're not a gossipy, disrespectful, angry, shouting people, but are a people that can speak the truth in love with generosity and grace. What does it mean when we are the kind of people who desire the fullness of God's loving care in all of our lives and want to serve and bless others so that they might know Jesus too? It's not possible by nature. It's only possible when we are redeemed in Jesus Christ. Then we are born again believers who belong to the company of the redeemed. Then this word is truer than we may ever realize. Many days, seeing good, oh, the redeemed will experience these things eternally but it's not enough for us to simply know these things that becomes the temptation not to live the Christian life but to say I know it I can dot all my theological doctrines I can cross the T's of all of my principles and morality but if I'm not living out the Christian life if I'm not experiencing the power of Jesus Christ if I'm not tasting and seeing that this is good Indeed, isn't that exactly what the Apostle Paul calls us to do when in Romans 12 he tells us to give our lives as a living sacrifice in service to the Lord? To test, he says, test. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we surrender our lives to living in the light of God's Word, when we walk in the way of His will, we taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not enough to be able to recite the truth. We must experience these things. When we give our lives in gratitude to the Lord for His grace, then we experience what David invites us to enjoy, what we're now going to experience in the Lord's Supper. We get to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's ask the Lord for a blessing to do that in prayer. Shall we pray? Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank you for its encouragement to us. Help us now to feast upon your goodness. Help us, Lord, to go from this place once again reminded of just how rich is our condition in Jesus Christ, how deeply you care for us, how our lives are secure. Lord, we've been reminded in prayer today of the lives of your people and the challenges that we face in this fallen world. May we leave this place knowing that we may have to face those challenges, but we do so under your care. You who watch over us and provide for us far more than we could ever ask or imagine. We will suffer no lack and we will experience every good thing. Help us to know that. And knowing that, help us to live that. 
Help us to live that in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way that we pursue the priorities of life. May we not be like the world, chasing after the emptiness. But may we surrender all for the fullness that is in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.